We live in a time where masculinity is shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. As a pastor and counselor, I've spent the better part of my life equipping and training others. My goal with this show is to translate my hard-earned experience into tools and tactics to help you become stronger as a man. This is the Brave Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Bellant. Hey guys, this podcast episode is actually a message that I did at our last five-day cycle-breaking challenge. It's all about God changing your name, breaking off lies off your life. And so this is going to be an incredible podcast for some of you who have walked around with lies about who you are and that have come from your childhood. So if you're interested in being a part of our private Facebook challenges, go ahead and look at the link in the description. Otherwise, hope this podcast bless you. Oh man, what an incredible week we've had. I am so excited to be with you guys tonight and to be talking. Um, it's a privilege and an honor that you guys would take your night and spend it with us. And we feel that way. Uh, it's so genuine. Had a really fun morning this morning just to blow off some steam, to have some fun, to emotionally recharge, to take care of me because we've been going and blowing this week. I went out turkey hunting this morning and man, I shot an awesome turkey. If you're a turkey hunter, uh, I shot a five bearded turkey. If you're not a turkey hunter, that just sounds like a freak, like uh, something weird. And you're going, well, what, what's, what's the deal with that? I literally shot a five bearded turkey for a total length of 35 inches. I'm looking at Ben over here, yeah. I had to cross a creek at 5.30 a.m. with my shoes off and hike up a hill and sneak in on them, but we got it done, so that was fun. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go through this message as quickly as I can. Oh, there's my turkey right there. Check that thing out. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I got it all on video, so I'll post a video on my Instagram at some point. Yeah. Um, guys, I wanna, uh, I, I'm gonna probably spend a half an hour on today's talk in, man, I didn't know what I was gonna talk about until I was sitting on the couch today. And I felt like God said, the men need a new name. The men need a new name. And uh, so we're gonna go after it a little bit. And and I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about what God's gonna do in you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just stop what you're doing right now and just say, God, I'm expectant that you're gonna meet me right here that you're gonna give me a new name today. That you're gonna meet me where I'm at. That you're gonna take me from addicted to freed, from slave to victor, from broken to strong, from lost to secure, Man, God's gonna change your guys' names today. It's a big day for us. Um, a while back, Kruger National Park, which is a game preserve in Africa, they were experiencing an overpopulation of elephants. And <clears throat> because they're experiencing an overpopulation of elephants, they began to think, man, what can we do about this? So. Elephants are so big, you can't necessarily put them in a truck and especially a lot of them and move them around. They were huge. So they decided they would make this harness, 
a big harness that they could put, uh, that they can airlift the elephants out in and airlift them to another nearby park. And so when they try to lift the big bull elephants, these suckers are massive, the harnesses begin to rip. So they were only able to take the female elephants and some male juvenile elephants and, and female juvenile elephants, and that worked. They relocated these elephants. Everything was great. Uh, the, the Kruger National Park was stoked because now the population was thinned until something really interesting happened. At this other park, I can't remember the name of it, sorry, man. At this other park where they relocated the elephants, they were finding white rhinoceroses that were gored and, and just completely mutilated. And at first, the scientists were, actually, it was the park rangers were baffled and they got scientists involved in it and they, they said, what the heck is happening here? So they put up game cameras. They thought it was poaching until they realized, well, none of the horns or tusks were cut off. None of the valuable parts uh, of the rhinoceroses were taken. And so they put up these game cameras and they, they watched what was happening. And here's what was happening. These juvenile male elephants were goring and stomping and thrashing these white rhinoceroses. In fact, they were going around and terrorizing all of the animals, which was obviously way out of character for elephants. It's not out of character for an elephant to fight if it has to, right? They're huge animals, that's why they have tusks, but way out of the character for a, a white rhinoceros and an elephant are not natural predators, they're not natural enemies. So super weird. What they, uh, what they started to theorize, they had a theory that because there were no older male elephants, the younger male elephants uh, were stuck in this rut cycle. And so what they did was they reinforced this harness and they airlifted bigger male elephants into uh, this national park. And almost immediately, it said like within a week or two weeks, all of the terrorizing stopped. And here's why. All of it stopped because the older bull elephant's job was to teach and train the younger elephants how to behave even in the rut, even when their hormones are high, even when it's breeding season. When I first heard that story, I was completely blown away. I love how God speaks to us in nature. Men, don't you love that? How it says all of creation speaks of God. And when you look at that, you can see exactly what's wrong in our society. Now, I know John Tyson talked on, on some of this. So you guys have some, uh, some grid for this. I'm gonna hit it from a, a tiny bit of a different angle. See, because men don't have role models, because you weren't initiated into manhood, because you didn't have a man, a lot of men, who had absent fathers, absent mothers, we are stuck asking the most important questions in our life. Who am I? Who, whose am I? 
And do I have what it takes? And men, those questions right there drive us to do things that we would never do. It's actually outside of our character to pillage, to steal, to rape, to whatever. It's outside of our character because see, man, God designed us to live in perfect harmony with a father who is bringing us into manhood, into masculinity. See, the, uh, when you start to understand masculinity, masculinity is bestowed upon a man. A boy learns who he is and what he got from a man or the company of men. He cannot learn it any other place. It can be said better like this. Masculinity is not something a man is born with. It's something that is poured into a man. Guys, your masculinity is not something that you were born with. It's not something that your mom can give you. And I'm not discrediting what women give. We're gonna talk about it today. But masculinity, the virtues of a man, the identity of a man, the character of a man is something that was meant from God to be poured into you by the, by the men surrounding you and by your father. See, all the way from the beginning, from the beginning of time, God named Adam. He says, you're Adam. And he gave Adam responsibility, didn't he? He gives Adam this responsibility. He says, take care of the land and do what? Name, give names. Isn't it interesting that the Bible records Adam giving names to all of the animals? You go, well, what's the importance of that? Oh, Adam's giving identity. Adam is speaking identity. Oh, you're a giraffe? This is your identity. Oh, you're a lion? This is your identity. And even when Eve was taken from his body, he goes, ooh, you're a woman. You're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When you, uh, in Luke 32, or sorry, in Luke 3, verse 22, Jesus is about to go into his full-time ministry. And he's, he's at, um, what river was he in, Ben? Do you remember? Jordan? I can't remember. Jesus is at the river and John the Baptist is there. I can't remember what river it was. Sorry, guys. And he gets baptized by John. And when he comes out of the water, what does God say to him? What are the words that are spoken over Jesus, the son of God? God says to him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. See that one moment, that was a moment, a, a pivotal moment, like what Steve talked about last night. That was a pivotal moment in time that Jesus knew he couldn't skip. When, when Jesus got baptized, he did, it, just, it didn't just signify him dying in the, the death and resurrection. It's, it, it set up Jesus 
for the rest of his years. It set him right in alignment. Now, what did Jesus do from there? Follow me, guys. Just follow me here for a little bit. I know we're getting a little churchy here, but this is okay. Jesus goes out into the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days. At the end of his 40-day fast, it says Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the devil, or sorry, by the Holy Spirit. So we always look at the wilderness as this really bad thing, like, oh man, I'm just in the wilderness season. I'm being tested. No, that, that was Jesus's upgrade. He gets led out there by the Holy Spirit to have this showdown with the enemy. And the whole time, the, he's, he, the enemy comes against him and he says, if you really are the son of God, prove it, work for it, throw yourself off of here, let the angels catch you. If you really are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you really are the son of God, perform, perform, perform. What's the enemy trying to get him to do? What we talked about the other day, trying to get him to work to prove who he is. But see, he didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to prove it to the enemy because God had already affirmed him as his father and that he was a good son. This is my son. See, before Jesus had done all the works that he was about to do, before Jesus went and performed, before Jesus went and performed miracles, before Jesus went and did all this stuff, sure, he had turned water to wine, but he hadn't gone on his big ministry. Before Jesus was super famous and everybody wanted him, he got the approval of his father who said, you are my son. You don't have to earn it for anybody. You don't have to prove it to anybody. You already have it. This, what you're about to do, isn't to make me proud. What you're about to do isn't to prove that you're really the son of God. What you're about to do, you don't have to do. You're doing this because you love me and I love you. From a place of complete confidence, Jesus looks at the devil and he says, oh, you're not supposed to tempt the Lord your God. Now, here's an interesting thing, guys. This is, this, there's one thing that you have that the enemy doesn't have. It's perseverance. See, your name, who God created you to be, was supposed to give you this, these type of roots that, are, that so ground you into the foundation and to the cornerstone that you can persevere against any of the enemy's attack. Because it says this, it says, and the enemy left him until a more opportune time. Jesus literally outlasted the enemy. That's why James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials for the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. There's something better than faith, man. It's perseverance. And when perseverance runs its course, you will lack nothing. You go, well, how come I don't have perseverance? You don't have perseverance because in order to have perseverance, you first have to have identity. You have to have your identity right. See, when you were born, your father was supposed to set you up. He was supposed to go, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. See, God's design for you is that you would bear the image of God, that you be so confident 
and who you are because you know who you are and whose you are. You go, well, man, I didn't have a good dad. We're gonna, and we're gonna hit on that. We're gonna touch on that in a little bit. But let's look at some of the names of God. See, because people in the world and the church right now are really confused. The church right now wants, wants kind men. We just want everybody, every man to be kind, to come into church and to, to sing Kumbaya, someone's crying, Lord, come over here. Now, is there, is there anything wrong with that? There's not anything wrong with that as long as you also have the dangerous man. The dangerous man. Well, why is that so important? You guys understand that your God, the guy who created you, that he created you in what? In your mother's image. No, he did not create you in your mother's image. He created you in your father's image. No, he created you in his image. In his image, he created you. When God was forming you, he was looking in a mirror and he began to take attributes of himself and he began to plug them into you. He said, for Frank, I'm gonna give Frank the kindness that cuts through the enemy. I'm gonna give Travis a heart of a lion that, that I can make his head harder than flint, that he could go into the deepest, darkest places. I'm gonna give Carl Muckle a, a humility that brings the enemy to his knees. He began to take these attributes, these unique attributes, and he began to thrust them into you before you were ever formed. Jeremiah says it, before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before I ever formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Which says two things. God's known you forever. You are not lost. The second thing is, you didn't, you're not just a, 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 the product of your mom and your dad. God formed you. See, God is a what? Look at the names in the Bible. If you want to know what you're made of, you have to know what God's made of. If you want to know what you're made of, so many people are, are checking out Ancestry.com and those different places where you can search your history because instinctively we want to know what are we made of? What's the greatness in my family line? And, God, and I love that too. But guys, listen, your, your lineage doesn't just go back. My lineage doesn't just go back to Chris Vallotton and Anthony and all these men. My lineage goes all the way back to God. And when I look at my creator in order to see myself, right? That's what I'm trying to do. I go, oh, he's a consuming fire. Holy smokes. Our God's a consuming fire. Listen, men, God isn't this tame, scared little church boy who's afraid to show up, who's afraid that the enemy's gonna use his worst day against him. No, no, no. He's a consuming fire who consumes fiery darts. He consumes the, the plot and the plan of the enemy. He's a lion. who hunts down 
and kills with his teeth. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the Jehovah Jireh. Listen, men, I don't know how, how else to tell you. This is your lineage. Your mom was a drug addict. Your dad was a loser. There's pain in that. I'm not negating the pain. Guys, I'm the pain guy. I'm the guy that's saying, dive into the pain, let's fix it. But you first have to understand what right alignment looks like. When you fix your mom wounds and your dad wounds, what are you aligning yourself to? When you work through the pain, you're ultimately gonna come back to right alignment, which says, my first father was God the Father. My first father was Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I saw someone on there who said, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. What do I do? Now we have some really great practical plans for you. We really do. And I'm not negating that. But you also have your heavenly father who is Jehovah Jireh. See, every man alive, every man alive, every man alive will run, will thrash about, will do crazy things until he answers the question inside of himself that we all have, do I have what it takes? See, Jesus was asking himself that question. Do I have what it takes? And when he came up out of that water that day, even Jesus needed to hear Father God say, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Men, we can't look past this. We can't skip past this. We can't go another day with, until we hear this from God. You are my son. Because even if your dad comes to you today and he says, I'm so sorry for all the stuff that I ever did, it doesn't take away that. It doesn't take it away. It also doesn't give you the identity that you've lost over all these years. At this point, men, God is the, is the man that can restore what's been taken, what's been lost. See, the role of a mom, let's talk about a mom. Ben, can you throw me some water? The role of a mom, when a boy's young, sorry, men, I know these are supposed to flow seamlessly without any. <clears throat> but I'm just a mortal, mere mortal. When a boy's brought into this world by his mother, he becomes a center of attention. <clears throat> Those first tender months and years, she nurtures him, she protects him, she sings to him, she reads to him, she watches him overnight, she comforts him, and she names him. How many of you, your mom called you things like sweetie and honey and baby and I love, oh, you're just my little baby. See, here's the devastating thing, man. At some point in your life, a man is supposed to push away from his mom. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you're supposed to reject your mom. I'm not saying at all. But I am saying you're supposed to push away from the coddling, the cuddling. Now, I'm not also saying that you're not supposed to be affectionate. This is truth intention. And you'll, you'll see what I'm saying in a little bit. And you're supposed to gravitate and mature and grow up into this initiated man, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But here's the thing, men. If your mom won't allow you to become dangerous, if she doesn't allow 
your dad to take you away and initiate you, she'll emasculate you. Now think about it like this. If you only have a mom, because what's the role of a mom? It's to comfort, it's to nurture. When, you, when you're young and you fall down, did you run to dad or mom? Mom, I mean, I got young kids. When my kids fall down, they don't want me, they want mom. As you grow older, when you get bad grades and you want some comfort, you want your mom or a woman. Or a woman. I remember when my son Evan was about, oh, he's probably eight years old. And he loves knives. He really wanted a knife. Tim, can you get me a, clock, a countdown clock? He really wanted a knife. And I love knives. I had knives growing up. So I went and I bought Evan a knife. And <clears throat> my wife, Lauren, asked me, are you going to make that knife dull? I said, no, baby, I'm, I'm not going to dull this knife. Actually, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to sharpen the knife. Because I learned a long time ago, a dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife at some point. A dull chainsaw is more dangerous than a sharp chainsaw. And if you run chainsaws, it's more frustrating than a sharp chainsaw as well. So I took Evan's knife and I sharpened it up. And I said, come here, son, let me teach you how to, how to use this. And I taught him, you know, when you're whittling a stick, you need to make sure that you're cutting in front of your hand, not behind your hand. And don't point it at yourself and, and you know, don't cut towards yourself, all the normal stuff. And then I said, all right, go practice. You know, he, he practiced for a little bit. Okay, go. So there Evan goes. He's got his knife. I'm in the garage. I'm tying flies, which I did a lot and I do a lot sometimes. So I'm in the garage. I'm tying flies. And here comes Evan. He runs into the garage and he looks at me like he's in trouble. He's holding his thumb. Dad? Yeah, bud. Oh, I cut myself. He's like on the verge of tears. I said, oh, are you hurt? Uh, not really. Okay. Is it bleeding? Yeah. Do you need my help to stop the bleeding or can you do it? I can do it. Okay, cool. I wasn't condescending to him. I just wanted to know, can you take care of this? So he went and he took care of his hand. He cleaned it up and did whatever he was going to do. Probably rubbed some leaves and dirt on it. It's what I did in Weaverville. And then I said, son, do you remember how we're supposed to cut? Yeah, okay, go for it. So he runs back out. What's he do again? Half an hour later, I'm in there tying my fly, comes back in, he'd cut his hand. <laughs> yeah, he does the same thing. Now he's sure at this point that I'm gonna take his knife away from him. I'm not gonna take his knife away from him. I'm gonna go, hey, do you remember? Do you remember how to handle really important things? Do you remember how to handle this level of responsibility? Do you remember how to handle? Now, that's, I wasn't using those words, but that's what I was saying to him. You know what, Evan, I never had to worry about after that. I never had to worry about Evan handling really important, dangerous objects like his knife at seven. We did the same thing when he turned 15 with a car. You can drive, don't worry about your mistakes not life-altering mistakes, but learn how to fail successfully. But more importantly, learn how to handle responsibility. Because men, I want you to catch this. If you grew up in a home where you weren't allowed 
to take on more responsibility, where you are allowed to test your strength, where you are allowed to wrestle with other boys. You understand that's a part of nature. That's a part of building confidence. You have, in essence, been robbed of your confidence and therefore have been emasculated. And then when you feel like, why do I feel like I identify with this, the, the, with women or men of, of the same sex who are more effeminate than I am? It's because you were never initiated. You literally don't feel like you belong. See, you were born. That, you were, men, men were born. Like you don't have to wire into a man to pretend that a stick is a knife. You don't have to wire that into a man. It's already wired into him. You don't have to wire into a man the idea to chuck this ball and see if I can hit somebody in the head. It's wired into him. It's wired into us. Your testosterone naturally makes you more aggressive than a woman. Well, that's really a good thing. Think about if a burglar breaks into your house. Are you going to go, hey, babe, do you think you can handle this? Why don't you go see what's down there? I'm going to hide under the covers. No, men, because of our role to protect, promote, and provide, we were given this God-given ability, this gift of masculinity and manhood, this, this ability to grow stronger muscles, this ability to grow denser bone, this ability to run faster, this ability to be aggressive while being restrained. See, because responsibility is strength restrained. But men, without taking responsibility, follow me here, without taking responsibility in this world, responsibility gives you purpose. That's what gives a man purpose, responsibility. And if you shied away from responsibility, then you're on this chat wondering today, why do I feel so purposeless? Oh, you feel purposeless because you weren't introduced to responsibility when you were really young. See, when you were young, the traditional ways of raising a son was at a young age, you were gonna live murderously close to your father and you were gonna learn his trade. And when that happened, you were also learning that you're valuable, that you're needed, that you were wanted. See, 200 years ago, you would have had a job when you were young, a little job that let you know you're a part of this family, you're a part of this tribe, you belong. This is part of your identity. You go milk the cow, you go pull the weeds, you go hammer these nails, you go start the fire. You're learning these little skills this little responsibilities are giving you that says, and, and when you accomplish them and when you finish them, you realize, oh, that's that feels successful. Oh, that feels purposeful. Starting the fire feels purposeful. Starting the, uh, uh, plucking the chickens feels great. When we sit down to eat dinner, I'm the one that plucked that. I have value. I add value to this family. 200 years ago, our families weren't running around. Our men weren't running around going, God, I feel attracted to other men. Now, I'm not saying shame on you. I'm saying fact, that wasn't what was happening. They weren't running around going, what is, my, what is my purpose in this life? My grandfather, who was a farmer, I'm gonna talk about him in a little bit. He didn't roll out of bed and go, what is my purpose in this life? Oh, his purpose was waiting for him every day. Every day he went out there and he didn't go, man, what's the role for my wife? And I'm not saying every woman should stay at home. I'm not saying that. I'm literally saying the roles that were created gave them purpose and responsibility. And a woman back then didn't keep her sons from being dangerous, didn't keep their sons 
from wrestling, didn't keep their sons from growing strength because they knew that's what they're about to go do. They're about to have to use the skills that they learn in this small, tender phase of their life that they'll use for the rest of their lives to provide, promote, and protect for the world around them. Because men, that's what you've been called to do. In a book called Iron John, I'm gonna read this to you guys. I, I love this quote. It says, when a boy is old enough for initiation, which is about 12, 13 years old, usually about 13 years old, he's taken away from his mother and brought to a space, a special place for the men uh, where the men have set up some distance from the village. He falls asleep for, uh, sorry, he fasts for three days. The third night he finds himself sitting in a circle around the fire with older men. He's hungry and thirsty, alert and terrified. One of the older men takes up a knife and he opens his arm, a vein in his arm, and he lets the blood flow into a bowl. Each older man in the circle opens his arm up with the same knife as the bowl goes around and, uh, and lets blood flow. When the bowl arrives at the young man, he's invited to take nourishment from it. In this ritual, the boy learns a number of things. He learns that nourishment does not only come from his mother, but also from men. And he learns that the knife can be used for many purposes besides wounding others. He can have any doubt. He can't, uh, sorry, can he have any doubt now that he is welcome among the other men? Once that welcoming has been done, the older men teach him the myths, the stories, and the songs that embody distinctively male values. I mean, not competitive values only, but spiritual values. Once these moistening myths are learned, the myths themselves lead the young male far beyond his personal father and into the moistness of the swampy fathers who stretch back century after century. It, sorry, it makes me uh, emotional. <clears throat> Men, what would it have been like to be initiated like that? See, do you think that those men gave their sons a dull knife and said, here, go try to be a man with this. Go try to do life with this. Go try to kill a lion with this. That's what happened to you, men. That's what happened to so many of you. For starters, so many of you were never given the knife. You were never given the slit from other men and the, the ability to drink from their nourishment, from their wisdom, from their legacy, and be grafted into the flow of life that would come and propel them into their future. Growing up, my dad used to tell me about his grandfather. See, my dad didn't have a father. My dad's father drowned when he was three years old. And it was a very, very challenging time. His stepfather uh, was a very abusive man. He used to beat him emotionally, physically, mentally, uh, violate him. And <clears throat> he gave him a name. My dad's name was stupid ass. And that man was eventually divorced and another man came in to my dad's life 
when his mom remarried and he was less abusive, but way more angry and way more violent. He would throw TVs through the front room, smash windows, break tables and chairs. But something happened to my dad. My dad's grandfather, his name's Tony, was a farmer. He was a good man. Well, he was an okay man. He was a good role model. He was an alcoholic, but he was a hardworking man. And then in the summers, my dad would go work with his grandfather. And my grandfather would do stuff for my father that no other man did for him. My grandfather initiated my dad into manhood. He'd make him carry heavy railroad ties with him. He taught him how to run the tractor. He taught my dad that failure was okay. My dad tore up his tractor, broke chains, ripped doors off of his truck on accident. And my grandpa, every time, showed him how to fix those things, how to improvise. But he also taught my dad legacy. See, when my dad, one year my dad went back to the farm. And my dad says it's when he was a teenager. And his grandfather used to grow uh, almonds. But one, one summer when my, when my dad went there, his grandfather was tearing out all of his almond trees. Now, my grandfather was a farmer. He didn't have a bunch of money. So he said, Grandpa, what are you doing? He said, oh, all these trees are past their prime. And the fruit's dying on them. It, it's, we get less and less and less harvest every year. But I'm going to plant peaches this year. And he said, we won't get a harvest from the peaches for three or four years. But this will be what keeps us going. See, my father didn't have a great father growing up. He had the opposite. He was born in poverty. I mean, just like a lot of you, man. He's just gotten fights all the time. But because of his grandfather, when he, when he got married to my, to my mom at 18 years old and they went, moved out of Sunnyvale, California, up into the woods in Weaverville, and God met my dad and he began to change his life. And out of that, he realized, I gotta give my son, I gotta stop the cycles that were given to me and my son, I'm gonna give him a name. My name's Jason. My name means healer. When I was 13 years old, I had an encounter where my dad was telling me a story about David and his mighty men. If you know that story, uh, you know how powerful it is. You should read it. These mighty men uh, of David, there's 34, I think, mighty men of David. And they said one guy, the Bible says one guy was as a thousand. And two guys were as 10,000, as mighty and strong. And it talks about all these exploits and feats that they do and crazy adventures that these mighty men could do. But before they were ever mighty men, see, there were these outcasts and thieves and robbers and scared men, uh, uh, men child, men children that had grown up as outcasts. And when David was hiding in the caves, and running and fleeing for his life. These men became, and they began to hide with David and they got David's culture and they took David's identity and they were restored into the men they were created to be. 
And when I heard that, I realized this, this is what I've been called to do. And that forever changed my life. And every single day, every day, guys, that I can remember, every single day, my dad will look me in the eyes and say, you're special. You're not like everyone else. You're special. Guys, it was that identity. It was that you're special. It was those words that literally ripped me from the grasp of porn, literally ripped me from the grasp of same-sex attraction, ripped me from the, from the grasp of masturbation, of addiction. It pulled me through my divorce. You're not like every other man. That's what I hear when I put my feet on the ground. When I have a hard day, it's wired into me. You're not like every other man. When I lost the use of my arms for my nervous breakdown for a, for a whole year, you can ask Ben. My life was completely shut down. Went through a nervous breakdown. I lost the use of my arms. I would sleep 15, 16, 17 hours a day, riddled with anxiety and stress, having two and three wet dreams a night because of the amount of anxiety that I was living under. I couldn't walk further than a mile. I thought I was dying and my dad looked at me and said, son, you were born for greatness. Even if you're dying, you have to figure out how to leave a legacy. You're a valentin. You're a valentin. See, I'm not just Jason. I'm not Jason, the pervert, I'm not Jason, the porn he looked at when he was 16. I'm not Jason, the kid who masturbated sometimes 20 times a day. It was that bad. I'm not Jason, the kid who was, who was messing around with his girlfriend at 16 who went through a divorce. That's not who I am. I'm Jason, son of Chris. Father of, uh, father of, of five incredible kids. I'm the son of a man who was overcome, whose grandfather worked to leave a legacy of hard work, but whose God is the God who's a provider, who's a protector, who's a warrior, who's a lion, who pulls me out of nervous breakdowns who gives me the peace that surpasses understanding, who looks at my worst day and applies a little bit of blood to that so that I don't have to bear the weight of my worst day. I can have his best day every day. Tim, scroll down on my notes. That is who I am. See, men, without this, Without this, we're all just posers running around pretending to be something. Until you know who you are, until you change, until God changes your name, until you get and grasp who he says you are, you'll be running around driving your big ass truck with your hat turned around and that's all good. I don't mind my hat turned around sometimes and I don't mind getting a big truck, but if it makes you who you are, you are a slave to your truck. If, it, if killing turkeys and shooting the biggest deer and chasing the women with the biggest boobs and, and getting the trophy wife, if that's what makes you who you are, you are a slave. 
or, or worse yet, or just as bad. You shy away from every obstacle. You decide to not trust yourself. You decide that, you, that you're fragile, that you're broken, that you don't have what it takes and you settle for a life, you could have this whole water bottle of success. God has given you a capacity this big, but you'll just take a little drop because what if I spill it all? Man, his cup overflows. It's, it's shaking down, pressing, running over. It's, it, you can't empty it. You can't empty it. Men, we have to change our names. You have to get out from underneath that name that your mom called you, that that dad, that your dad didn't give you, that you were, that you inherited when you were abandoned, that you were inherited when you were bullied, that you inherited when you looked at women, that you inherited when you did wrong things, when you stole, when you smoked pot, that name that's staying with you, that stupid ass that you called yourself, that pothead, that good for nothing, that too weak to, to take a step forward, that broken down, I always make mistakes. I'm never gonna make it. You gotta break away from that name. And listen, men, you're the only one that can do it. None of us can rescue you from this. See, my dad gave me the name, but I chose to keep it. My dad gave me the name, but I chose to renew it every time I fell down. I chose, I made a choice. I will wake up in the morning and say, it's a good day. I will not be a victim to my circumstances because valentines aren't victims. I will not be a victim to the economy because valentines aren't victims. I will not be a victim to my nervous breakdown. I won't be a victim to my ex-wife's choices. I won't be a victim to how my kids see me. I won't be a victim to what the church wants to portray me, to what you guys want to see in me, to what you want to project onto me. I will not be a victim to the public opinion view of what I should and shouldn't talk about. I will hold fast to the conviction and to the identity that God created in me. And men, this isn't just good talk, church talk. This is what we want to give you. And it doesn't just happen overnight. It's not just something, it's, it, the first step was the first day. The first, the second step was the second day. The third step was the third day we gave you. The fourth step was the fourth day. It was yesterday. The fifth step is today, man. So I want to ask you three questions. What's the name that you've been calling yourself? And some of you wrote them down yesterday and burned them. And I like that. And we need to do that. But what's the name? If you still have a name, if it says irresponsible, man, we got to break a partnership with that tonight. If it says addicted, we got to break a partnership. And I'm not saying one and done, there's no process. I'm saying that is not who you are anymore. Because, man, we don't fight for victory, we don't fight to be something, we fight from victory. And today's the day. What's the wound? And who's your father? The only thing I really want you to look at right now, man, I, I want to just take a second. Just close your eyes for a second. We're good, Tim. I want you to close your eyes. Just... Don't touch the keyboard. Just close your eyes, man. Just do me a favor. Just, just do it for me. If you don't want to do it for yourself, that's fine. 
Don't type anymore. Men, don't type anymore. Just do this for me. Don't push any more heart buttons. Don't do any more stuff. I just want you to ask this. First, I want you to ask yourself, what's the name that I've been carrying? What is that name? What's the names that have been weighing me down? That's been messing me up. That's been lying to me. What is that name? Oh, we're gonna have a showdown with that name. We're gonna look at that name tonight and we're gonna go, no more. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Man, the one thing that you can be guaranteed of in this life is that this life is gonna be hard. There are no guarantees that if you take a step, that your life is gonna be successful. The only guarantee is that if you don't take a step, that your life is gonna be hard. That's it. That's it. God, what is the name that's been given me? Okay, now here's, here's what I want you to do. Just take a quick second and type that name into the chat. Just really quick, I just want you to get it out there. This is not to embarrass anybody. We're gonna pray through these stuff. Just really quick, just go ahead and type it out. I know there's a tiny bit of a delay from what I'm saying. Just really fast, just type it out. Once you type it out, don't type anything else. No need to put hearts or anything like that. Just put it on the chat. I'm just gonna wait one second. Just gonna wait a second. Yeah. Yep, don't type anything else once you do that. All right, here we go, man. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to say this out loud if you can. Just repeat after me. I renounce the lie that I am whatever that thing, whatever it was, whatever you typed, I renounce the lie. I renounce the lie that I'm a loser. I renounce the lie that I'm worthless. I renounce the lie that I'm a piece of shit. I renounce the lie that I'm good for nothing. I renounce the lie that I'm always angry. I renounce the lie that I'm never gonna amount to anything. I renounce the lie that I'm insignificant. I renounce the lie that I'm a failure. Just do it, just really quick. Now I want you to say this. Father God, you gave me a name. You gave me a name. Like you took Simon to Peter, like you took Abram to Abraham, like you took Sarai to Sarah, like you took Israel or Jacob to Israel, you have a name for me. Father God, what is that name? Would you give me that name tonight? We're just gonna take a second.
just going to take a minute. We got all the time in the world, man. We're okay. Go ahead and write your name. What's your name? I'm Jason the Healer. Ben, what's your name? Benjamin, son of my right hand. Tim, you know your name? Tim, he honors God. And whether you take one more step, whether you join the course or not, you're part of a brotherhood of men who know their names, who have a legacy, who are rooted in Christ, who know who they are and whose they are. We don't have to fight to prove it. Once you type that, we're going to do one thing just really quick. I just want you guys all to close your eyes just again. Just do it for me. If you're afraid, if this is weird, you'll be all right. Just say, I forgive myself. for carrying these lies, for reinforcing them, for the agreement shame I want you to say this out loud shame you are not my friend I don't need your help I don't need your partnership you don't lead me to freedom. You're no longer my guide. And I send you away. Holy Spirit, will you come take that place? Will you be my guide? Will you be my strength? Will you be my partner? Fear, I break a partnership with you. You're no longer my protector. You're no longer my false confidence. You're no longer my hope. And I send you away today. Father God, would you take that place that fear held? Would you take that God spot of identity, direction, protection, comfort, unconditional love, healing, mercy, grace in my life. Self, I give you permission to feel loved, to feel believed in, to feel championed, to feel encouraged, to believe the best in yourself, to hope the best, to not have anxiety, 
to not need anxiety, to motivate me. I give you permission to try and fail and to get up again. I give you permission to feel proud, to feel hope, Father God, once again, would you take that place in my life that is above all other places? Would you be my father? And would you father me? Amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Brave Co. Podcast. If you like this podcast, would you please rate it, review it, leave us a great comment. And if you like this episode in particular, share it with your friends and family. That helps us to spread the word. Guys, stay brave. We'll see you next week.